Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. As uh, Peter's already said, over the next uh, few weeks on Sunday mornings, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. Now, just the idea of that will drive some of you nuts, as it sounds very much like the madness that we experience on the high street. You know how every year the, uh, the big department stores seem to begin to sell Christmas earlier and earlier. They tell us that Christmas is coming before the summer suntan has begun to fade, and at least this year we've all got one, which is something. So on the 1st of September, they replace sun cream and swimming costumes and put on the shelves Christmas tree decorations and festively packaged cosmetic gift sets. In September, it's all too early. Yet here are we in church in July celebrating Christmas. Have we gone mad? Well, I want to say no. It's all quite deliberate. Over the next few weeks, we're delving into the Christmas story in Luke's Gospel so that we can think about the great events leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ without the normal trappings and distractions of Christmas. I don't know about you, but when Christmas is coming around, it's my job to do Christmas well, but I have so many other things to think about. And so in short, it's precisely because Christmas is so far away that we're going to focus on Christmas in the summer. So let me pray that it would be worthwhile and we'll discover wonderful things in these next few weeks. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you very much for the uh, wonder of Christmas. And uh, here we are, baking hot on July uh, morning. And we pray that we would, uh, because we're so far away from all the trappings of Christmas, that we would, this Sunday and the following Sunday mornings, grasp something more of the heart and truth of all that we celebrate in December. And we ask it for your glory and for our good. Amen. 
Well, if you haven't got a Bible, you might like to turn it open to page 1026. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And uh, you'll also find there's a handout uh, that I uh, tucked inside the bundle. And if you'd like to see where we're going, then that will help you as well. Today, here in this service, it's all about promises. Uh, James and Rhiannon have made huge promises on behalf of little Bertie. He did look a bit surprised when I dunked him, but there we are. That's all done now. Uh, The songs that we've sung have been full of promises. Maybe you've noticed them as we've gone along. We've sung of Jesus' death on the cross, bringing us forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. That is a huge promise. Today is full of promises because Christianity is full of huge promises Uh, Promises made by God that he'll be with us, that he will forgive us, that he will give us eternal life. But it is hard to believe those promises sometimes. Just, Just think about one of those promises. Just think about the great promise of eternity in the glorious new heavens and new earth. That that one promise of forever being free from pain and suffering and death forevermore. That promise that one day, every day, there'll be no more struggles any day. It is a great promise. But don't you find it hard to believe sometimes? It's a promise that Christians should keep their eye on. It is a promise that should motivate us to live the Christian life. But believing it isn't always easy. I just think of the employee who has to decide whether to stand up for Jesus, even though it will mean, out, mean losing out on a promotion. Or worse, losing their job. Will I stand up for Christ if it means I'm going to lose out on things now? Only if I'm sure that there is better in the life to come. Otherwise, there's no point, is there? But that's not easy. I think of Christians facing death. If ever there is a time to believe in the promise of eternal life when life is nearing the end, it is then, isn't it? But it is at that very moment, as I have sat with now many people as they have come to the end of their life, it is at that moment that that some people ask, what if it's not true after all? They've lived their life believing it, and now at the moment when it really matters, they're questioning, is it true? It's hard to believe these promises. Well, look, as we look at Luke chapter 1, we are presented with many of the great gospel promises of God, and not least of all, indeed right at the heart of it, this great promise of eternal life of a never-ending future. And here in Luke chapter 1, we meet someone who trusted God's word, some might say against all the odds. Well, look with me if you were following along, firstly at the greeting, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And Mary's response is very surprising. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled. Now, being greatly troubled by the visit of an angel is no surprise at all. Right through the Bible, and not least of all through the Christmas narrative, meeting angels is a seriously troublesome thing. Angels are awesome beings. When you think angel, please don't think six-inch high Christmas tree decorations. Angels are big, powerful, awesome creatures. When we come to chapter 2 in a few weeks' time, we'll read that um, the the, the moment the the shepherds encountered the angel, in chapter 2, verse 9... The shepherds were terrified. Our shepherds were hard men. 
They were men's men, rugged. They lived the outdoor life, strong and brave. They fought off wild animals to protect the flock. Shepherds were not wimps. Yet the sight of an angel left them terrified because angels are mighty beings. So to read Mary was troubled is no surprise, except look at what the text says and you see what Mary was troubled by. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words. It wasn't the sight of the angel that spooked Mary, but the words of the angels. And again, that is a surprise. Now again, for sure, throughout the Bible, people are often troubled by the words of angels. They are messengers from God. What they have to say is of huge significance. They don't just come and talk about the weather. Whenever they come, they're talking about weighty things, dealing with the most important issues of life and death. It is no surprise that people are worried when they hear angels speak. But again, the surprise here is that Gabriel hasn't really said anything to Mary yet, except greet her. See, back to verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. And verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's a strange verse, isn't it? I reckon Mary was so troubled by the greeting because she thought there might be a catch. Just this uh, last week, I've had a couple of unsolicited telephone calls. I get uh, the most weeks. I guess you do too. Uh, You know how they begin. Uh, Mr. Williams, how are you today? I'm pleased to tell you that you've been chosen to receive a special offer. And when I hear those words, like Mary, I am greatly troubled. I begin to wonder what kind of greeting this might be. My defences go up and I immediately think someone is going to try and take me for a ride, draw me into a conversation I don't care to have, and then try to sell me something I really don't want. Of course, if a good friend were to come up to me and say, Hi, Paul, how are you today? You are highly favoured. I've chosen you to share these tickets to to the next test match with me. I wouldn't be troubled then. I'd be thrilled if you want to do that this year. I'd be pleased to accept But when a complete stranger greets me and tells me that I've been chosen to receive something, then I am troubled. That's Mary. Here she is one day minding her own business when completely out of the blue, she's visited by a celestial stranger and he greets her telling her that she is highly favoured and that the Lord is with her. Is it any wonder that she was greatly troubled? I think she's smelling a rat, a first century scam. And I don't blame her. And so notice this, and this is important, Mary is no pushover. Uh, She might be a young girl, but she's not gullible. She's not completely green behind the ears. So the angel Gabriel tries to reassure her, verse 30. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. Do you hear the reassurance? The angel uses Mary's name. Now, for sure, if that happened to me today, I'd be thinking that Facebook had not kept my personal data secure. They'd sold it to Analytica. It seems to me that every scam caller knows my name. Mr. Williams, how are you today? Or I just think uh, that this confirmed my concerns about storing information up in the cloud. Not that I ever thought that my data being up in the cloud would be accessed by angels. I mean, that really was a bit weird. Of course, Mary didn't have any of that to worry about. So Gabriel, using her name, was indeed very wonderful reassurance. Using her name reassured her that this was not a matter of a mistaken identity. This was no cold calling scam. This was personal. That's precisely what we expect from our gracious and loving God. He knows us and calls us by name, and he is gentle with us. Verse 30, the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. 
He knows her fears. But he assures her, reassures her, there's nothing to be frightened of. Quite the opposite, verse 30. Mary, you have found favor with God. Now that is clearly important because it's the second time in two sentences that the angel has said it. The first time in verse 28, greetings you who are highly favored. And then again in verse 30, Mary, you found favor with God. It's clearly important. And so it is crucial that we don't misunderstand what it means that she was highly favored. We must understand it properly. Please understand that Mary being highly favored is not a declaration that Mary herself was highly impressive or highly moral or highly spiritual. Now look, whenever we use the word favor, we always use it when it's about getting something we don't deserve. So if at the end of the service I ask you to do me a favor, it's precisely because I don't deserve it that I ask a favor of you. By contrast, your boss doesn't ask you to do him a favor. He tells you to do the job that he's paying you for. When I take my car to the garage to be fixed, I don't ask the mechanics to do me a favor. I ask them to repair the car, and then I pay them for it. Favor is getting something we don't deserve. Mary received favor. She's not doing God a favor. Rather, she is the one favored. God is giving her something, something she doesn't deserve. And that's important because there's so much nonsense believed in churches about Mary. Don't mishear me. I'm going to speak very highly of her today. But some even worship her, which quite frankly is blasphemous. Well, so much for the greeting. Second, the announcement in verses 31 to 33. Verse 31, you'll be with child and give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. They are remarkable, spectacular verses packed with the most astonishing facts. Verses 32 and 33 reveal some of the most wonderful truths about the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. But when the angel said these words, Mary didn't hear any of them. Look at verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Mary's concerned about one thing. How can I be with child when I've never slept with a man? Uh, Do you see what's going on here? The angel said, verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son. And from that moment on, Mary didn't hear a thing. Of course, she heard the words in verse 32 and 33, but none of them went in. None of them registered. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of momentous news, you'll understand what's going on here completely. It's when you go to a hospital to get test results and the consultant tells you the devastating news that you have cancer. And once you've heard the cancer word, no matter how carefully the doctor spells out what that means and what the options are, you don't hear anything beyond the words, you've got cancer. Devastating news leaves you deaf to what comes next. And this news from the angel Gabriel would have been devastating for this young girl, Mary. See, back in verses 26 and 27, Luke told us everything we need to know to understand the plot as it unfolds. Mary was a virgin, betrothed, to Joseph. News that she was pregnant was catastrophic news. Socially, it would have been much more than awkward. It was a disgrace. She would have been seen as a tramp. 
treated as a pariah, disgraced and abandoned, not only potentially by Joseph, but by others. And never mind socially, legally, it was a disaster. Back then, being betrothed was so much more than an engagement today. In that society, betrothal was legally binding. It was the first step to being married. And so as one betrothed but pregnant by another, the law would class her an adulteress. And that carried the death penalty. Socially and legally, this news was would metaphorically end her life and quite possibly literally end her life. So is it any wonder that she didn't engage with uh, any more of the news than that she would be with child? Is it any wonder that the only thing she wanted to know was how it was possible that a virgin could get pregnant? And that is the big issue that the angel deals with next. See, Mary, who we've seen was far from naive, wanted to know how it was possible that she could be with child. And so the angel answered that one big question, verse 35. The angel answered, The Lord, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. See what's going on here? She's asking, how is it possible that a virgin will have a baby? Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The virgin birth is a miracle by the Holy Spirit. That is, that's how it's possible. That, that is the explanation. There is no other explanation. And we'll see in a moment, it's critical that there is no other explanation. It was a miracle. And to reassure Mary that miracles really do happen, the angel said, verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth, Mary's elderly relative, was pregnant, six months pregnant. Back in verse 24, Luke tells us that Elizabeth kept the news of her pregnancy quiet. And so this was the first that Mary knew of it. And the reason Gabriel mentioned it was to strengthen Mary's ability to believe that miracles happen and that she, a virgin, could be supernaturally pregnant. Elizabeth's pregnancy was itself a miracle. Elizabeth was getting on in years. We learned that back in verse 18, if you want to look back sometime. She was well past childbearing age. She'd been barren all her life. For Elizabeth, pregnancy was a miracle. For Elizabeth to be pregnant, God had to step into Elizabeth's life and reverse the effects of living in a fallen world. God put life into what had been a dead womb. God turned back the effects of aging and renewed her decaying body. Elizabeth's pregnancy wasn't just a, a, a surprise. It was a miracle. For, verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. And Gabriel's point is, if Elizabeth can be pregnant, then you, Mary, a virgin who's never been touched by a man, you can be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. The greeting, the announcement, thirdly, the response, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you've said. Mary's response is remarkable. But it is even more astonishing when it's compared to the earlier response of Zechariah. Immediately before this episode, Luke recorded the events in the temple with Zechariah. Apart from the events coming one after the other, which makes a link, the, the other link is very clear. They were both visited by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel. 
both told of a supernatural birth. So the link is clear, but it's the contrast that we're supposed to see which is very striking. Zechariah was an old man and a priest. Mary, a young woman of no real standing. Zechariah was a man of high standing in Jewish society. He was a man who should have been full of faith. For on the day that Gabriel appeared to him, Zechariah had been given this huge privilege of going into the temple to burn incense. Not just anybody could do that. And so he, of all people, should have trusted God. But Zechariah, the old priest, would not believe the word of God. Look back with me to verse 19. Just back a page if you have a church Bible. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. See what he's saying? I'm Gabriel, sent by God. I'm Gabriel, I have a message from God. Gabriel's words were the words of God. But Zechariah didn't believe the word of God and so, verse 20, now... You'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. See, the contrast? By contrast, Mary did believe. Zechariah, the old man and a priest of high standing, should have believed and didn't. Mary, a young woman of no real social standing, did believe. And that's when we read these remarkable words back in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you've said. Or better, as the ESV translates, may it be to me according to your word. These are terrific words of faith. Mary heard and believed the word of God. She wasn't gullible. She wasn't a gullible, naive girl, but she believed. She didn't know what this would mean for her. Indeed, humanly speaking, the announcement of her pregnancy meant a life of difficulty and suffering and quite possibly death. Yet she responded, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. The word is actually slave. Lord, I'm your slave. Do with me as you will. It's a brilliant response. It is a Christian response. This is the Christian life. Indeed, this is what we're praying for little Bertie today. That he would grow up to trust God's word and say, I am the Lord's slave. We're praying that throughout his life he would say, as Mary did, may it be to me according to your word. I know that's what James and Rhiannon want for him. And here's the thing, we're praying that for him, and indeed we ought to be praying it for all of us, even when it means a life of being socially ostracized or being misunderstood and metaphorically and maybe literally a life of death. That's the Christian life. Last month, I, uh, many of you know, I went to a conference in Jerusalem. I met many people who suffer just because they are followers of Jesus Christ. I, I met a bishop and his wife from northern Nigeria, Jeremiah and Mary. Jeremiah told me that in his part of the world, the moment you call yourself a Christian, from that moment on for the rest of your life, your life is in danger every day. I met a couple from Canada called Paul and Sue. Paul is the vicar and his wife Sue. They've stood firm on the word of God and have been mocked and so despised by the ecclesiastical authorities there, they've been kicked out of their church building. I met many people at the conference like that. All over the world, people are suffering for believing the word of God. But, you know, you don't need to go to a conference in Jerusalem to know that. 
You know that to a greater or lesser extent, if you stand on the word of God at work and among your friends, you will suffer for it. If you say that Jesus is the unique and only way to God, you'll be accused of being a narrow-minded bigot. If you stand on the truth of the Bible's teaching on human sexuality, you'll be written off as intolerant, cruel, and heartless. If you say you believe in the virgin birth, you'll be laughed at and considered a naive fool. I think particularly if you're a university lecturer, and we have quite a few of those in this congregation, or if you're a consultant surgeon, and we have quite a lot of those in, the, in this congregation, you'll be thought to be an intellectual simpleton. You believe in the virgin birth? People sometimes say to me, Christianity is for weak people who can't stand on their own two feet. Part of that is true, but... Look, standing on the word of God is a sure way to encounter hardship. Mary didn't know what was ahead. But in the first century, as a pregnant, unmarried woman, she was heading for a whole bunch of suffering and heartache. And for that reason, to bring Bertie for baptism today is to baptize him into a life of difficulty, as the waters of baptism show. Following Christ as a life first of dying, as Bertie went down into the water, it was a sign of death, dying a life of living without Christ. But, before you think that uh, what James and Rhiannon has done is cruel, but his coming out of the water was symbolic of resurrection life. And that's why what they have done and what Mar- why Mary's attitude was not a foolish death sentence but a declaration of wonderful optimism for a glorious future. And we see that fourthly as we draw to a close in the promise over the page on the handout, if you're still following. See, look back with me to the rich content of Gabriel's announcement, verses 31 to 33. You'll be with child and give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. This is what the virgin birth means. The virgin birth means there can be salvation for men and women. Salvation being that men and women can spend all eternity with God forever beyond death in a place where there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying, no more death. Why does the virgin birth tell me that? Because the virgin birth tells me, firstly, that Jesus, well, that he is both God and man. Firstly, that he is, both, that he is God. Look at verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And why will he be called the Son of the Most High? Well, verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called son of God. Do you see the link? It is precisely because the power of the most high God came upon the virgin that the child will be called the son of God, the son of the most high. The virgin birth tells me that Jesus is God, fully God, but it also tells me that he's fully human. See, at the end of verse 32, we read, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Because he was descended from the line of David. That point was made at the end of verse 27. The angel came to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Jesus was, yes, born of God, but also born a man. 
The virgin birth tells me that, God, that Jesus is both God and man. And being both God and man, he can save us. Which is why at the end of verse 31, the angel said, you ought to give him the name Jesus. Because the name Jesus means saviour. And here's how it all comes together. The God-man mediates between God and man. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote. I've put the reference on the handout for you. 1 Timothy chapter 2. He wrote these words. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. The man Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. You see, that is how Jesus, the God-man, reconciles God and mankind by dying as a ransom. We're thinking about Christmas, so let me tell you about something that happened just before Christmas in 2016. News broke of a ransom in Syria. Uh, When uh, Di was praying earlier, she helpfully reminded us seven years that war has been going on. In February 2015, nearly two years earlier than this news broke... ISIS fighters had attacked 35 Christian towns simultaneously and in the process they took scores of people captive. Then they demanded $50,000 per person for them to be released. And there's a bishop called Mar Afram Athniel and he said about raising millions of dollars from his community around the world. And nearly two years after they were taken captive, he paid the ransom price Millions of dollars. And the Islamic State group released 226 people. Now, whatever you think of paying ransoms or not, that's how a ransom works. A price is paid to set others free. Jesus paid a ransom, not by handing over money, but something more costly, by giving his life on a cross. He died to pay the price for sin. And so Jesus, the God-man, the one who stands between God and mankind. Jesus is our ransom, mediating for us. He's paid the price that we may have the most glorious future. Look again at verse 32. Halfway through verse 32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus is not only our saviour, he's the king, the king who will reign forever, ruling over a never-ending, everlasting kingdom. There's never been a king or kingdom like this. Kingdoms and empires come and go, the Roman Empire, the, the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, they rise and fall. We sang it in our song. But Jesus Christ's reign will, reign for, will rule forever. His kingdom will never end. No wonder James and Rhiannon want little Bertie to know this. Quite right. This is the promise of life forever under the most gracious ruler ever. Jesus, the man who is God, the one who would die for you, wants to give you eternal life in an eternal kingdom. That's what Christmas is all about. The wonderful gift of eternal life. And we can believe it because of the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus and then because of the perfect life of Jesus and the substitutionary death of Jesus and the glorious resurrection of Jesus and knowing this and believing this changes everything changes everything as I go to work and I'm made to 
make a forced to make a choice between following Jesus or getting a promotion or even losing my job, I say, I can stand for Jesus even if it means I lose everything because I have everything to come. And it changes everything because when one day it is my turn to die and I'm on my deathbed and I'm wondering, is there anything beyond? You can reassure me and say, oh yes, there is, Paul. And it's a glorious future. This is not the end. It's just the beginning. Well, look, if you were here this morning and you haven't yet embraced these things for yourself, maybe because no one's really ever explained them to you. Well, thanks for coming, whether you've come as part of the baptism or or, or for any other reason. If you come and you want to know some more, then I've got some Christmas books. I usually only give these out once a year. I wrote this little book book last year. It's called Christmas, the Greatest Gift. But it sort of fills in more of this very thing. And uh, I've got a whole stack of them because... No one else will take them. So um, grab one from me on the way out, if you will. Um, And I think that'll help you to think more about Christmas and the very heart of Christmas. And for those of us here this morning who already believe all this, well, look, rejoice in it. Isn't it wonderful? Tell others about it because it's wonderful. And respond to it as Mary did. Say to God, I am your servant, your slave. I will trust your word, whatever that means. Because trusting God's word is the way to an everlasting forever kingdom. Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that here in July we've been able to think about Christmas in perhaps a deeper way than we normally do. We thank you for this remarkable incident of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. We thank you for Mary's remarkable faith. We thank you for the virgin birth. We thank you that it tells us that Jesus is both God and man. And we thank you then that he can be the mediator, the one who stands between you, our Father God, and ourselves who turned away from you. And we pray we'd rejoice in it and tell others about it and respond as Mary did. I'm your servant. I'll trust in your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.